0: Precious God, may only your words be spoken and your words be heard. Amen. J.B. Phillips, a modern-day translator of the New Testament, wrote a classic little book called Your God is Too Small. In the first part of this book, before Phillips lays out positive images of God based on the God who is revealed in the Bible, Phillips describes several different images of God that are inadequate. And each of these inadequate images of God has some element of truth to it. But if that image of God is not enlarged by other equally valid conceptions of God— we end up with a God who is too small. And so J.B. Phillips takes us through several different inadequate or too small images of God that so many people, so many people carry around in our heads. One of them is God as a resident policeman, a foreboding authority, watching over us and waiting to pop us on the head for our slightest transgression. Why would we want to be close to, or intimate with, or love, or even worship such a God? Or God as a grand old man, an old bearded gentleman living in heaven, treated with reverence and respect, but one we have a condescending attitude toward because such a God can hardly be expected to cope with the complexities of our lives today. Or God is a harassed telephone operator, a God who is responsible for the vastness of the universe, but how could God possibly simultaneously hear and answer the prayers of people all over the world while still paying 100% attention to you? But the image of God that Phillips identifies that I think is the most relevant to today's readings is what he describes as God in a box. This is an image of God that really turns people off of organized religion. It is the way that different denominations, and yes, including the Episcopal Church, the way that different denominations seem to have captured and tamed and trained God to their own liking. God in a box is the worship of a cramped and regulated God who is a God according to a formula of a particular denomination. And here's what Phillips has to say about God in a box. The Roman Catholic who asserts positively that ordination in the Anglican church is invalid and that no grace is receivable through the Anglican sacraments is plainly worshiping a God who is a Roman Catholic, a God who operates reluctantly, if at all, through non-Roman channels. The ultra-low evangelical Protestant, on the other hand, must admit, if honest, that the God he worships disapproves most strongly of vestments, incense, and candles on the altar. The tragedy of these examples, which can be repeated ad nauseam, is not difference of opinion, which will always be with us, but the outrageous folly and damnable sin of trying to regard God as the party leader of a particular point of view. The outrageous folly and damnable sin of trying to regard God as the party leader of a particular point of view. It's nothing new. When God tells Moses that God will give Moses helpers with the people Israel by anointing 70 of the elders of Israel, if Moses will only gather them in the tent of meeting, Moses gathers them. God takes some of the spirit that's on Moses and puts it on the 70 elders. But two men, Eldad and Medad, stayed back in the camp they'd registered as elders but they'd not gone out to the tent they were qualified they registered but for some reason they did not conform to the rubrics that God gave and Moses communicated but the spirit rested on them anyway so they prophesied in the camp So someone comes running to Moses to tell on them. Moses, they're prophesying without proper authorization, not just telling on them. They want Moses to stop them. Moses, stop them. There are rules to follow. They're not following them. If they are not with us, they're not one of us. But Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? essentially saying, who is it that you're trying to protect? Why are you trying to limit God's activity? Would that all God's people be prophets? May God put his spirit on everyone. This all-too-human tendency of ours to stop people when they are coloring outside our lines, even when they're doing good, is a tendency that one of Jesus' followers falls prey to in today's gospel. In it, John, one of Jesus' followers, comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. And how telling John's choices of words are. This man was following Jesus. He just wasn't following us. They try to stop him. Think about that. This exorcist was confronting and defeating Satan. He was using Jesus' name. The formula would have been, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. So he was showing an awareness that his power came from Jesus, that his success was due to calling on the name of Jesus. But the disciples see someone else whose ministry is successful was doing good work and doing it competently, but because he wasn't one of them, because he wasn't one of us, because he's not a member, they try to stop him. Years ago, I read an essay by Steve Collins that helped me understand this dynamic better. And the essay was titled, Policemen and Shepherds. The essay asks us to think a moment about mathematical set theory of all things. Now you remember in geometry what sets were. Sets are groups of things that belong together and a closed set is defined by a border, a line. Everything that's inside the border or the line belongs to the set. And all that is outside the border or line does not. But an open set does not have a boundary. It's not defined by a line or a border. Rather, an open set is defined by a relationship to the center. This does not mean that an open or a centered set is chaotic without any kind of definition, that anything goes. You can still determine what belongs in an open set and what does not belong to an open set, but not by looking to see which side of a line it is on. You must instead determine overall direction. Now, you didn't come here this morning to receive a lesson in mathematics. So apply this to the church. Closed-set believers have a territorial concept of God's reign, of God's kingdom coming, God's will being done. Closed-set believers believe that God's reign is enclosed within a boundary. You become a member by crossing the boundary. Conversion. Membership, adherence to doctrine, policy, procedure, or worshiping a certain way. Once you are inside the territory, you had better be careful not to cross the boundary again. Open-set believers, on the other hand, define membership by movement toward or away from Jesus Christ as the center. There are still those who belong and those who do not belong, but you can't separate them easily, let alone state who is in or who is out once and for all. Those who appear to be close to Christ may be moving away from Christ. Satan, get behind me, he says to Peter. And those that seem to be far away from Christ are actually headed rapidly toward him. The tax collectors, the prostitutes. So instead of putting so much emphasis on a conversion process or membership or adherence to doctrine or discipline or liturgy, what matters is what C.S. Lewis describes in Mere Christianity. That choosing God is an ongoing process, and that all of our choices add up to a direction toward or away from God. Now, consider the implications. For closed set believers, how one defines that boundary, that border, is crucial. Where one draws the line determines, for them, the nature of the territory within. So, a boundary-defining issue need not be central to the faith, but as the border crossing, it is taken as a litmus test of, one, of whether or not one accepts the central matters of the faith or not whether one is orthodox or not, whether one is traditional or not, whether one is Bible-believing or not, whether one is liturgical or not, whether one is one of us or not. And so it is that marginal elements of Christian belief, matters that were much less remarked on in other times and in other places, those marginal matters become contested with hysteria and venom. Why? Because from the point of view of a closed set believer, the integrity of the border, the integrity of the line is so crucial. If it is breached, the entire territory within is under threat. What next? Anything goes. And so, Any concession on the boundary issue is seen as threatening the integrity and even the existence of the whole church. Borders, Collins goes on to say, borders require policing. But in the world we live in, fixed borders will always appear to be under siege because people are always bumping up against them. So this closed-set model sees a changing world as a threat. The closed-set model sees a changing world as a threat because it is a threat to the borders. But in an open or a centered set, in an open or a centered set church, Instead of investing energy and time policing, instead of investing energy and time defending borders and determining who is in and who is out, who is one of us and who is not, energy and time in open set churches are spent shepherding, seeking to direct the flow toward Christ. Christ toward love of God, toward love of neighbor, toward love of self. And listen carefully to what Collins writes next. Which set theory someone adheres to has nothing to do with whether one's positions on specific doctrines are liberal or conservative. Liberals can defend single issue boundaries with militant certainty expelling those who disagree. Conservatives can have strong opinions on direction without making rigid judgments or picking battles. But what's really problematic is that each of these two mindsets offend the other. Closed set people think that open set people are unprincipled or weak because they won't stand and fight. And open set people think closed set people are intolerant and controlling. Well, it's not a new problem. It's not a new dynamic. These two mindsets, these two ways of being church have clashed for centuries. Closed-set believers see Eldad and Medad prophesying in the camp, and they tell Moses, they're outside the boundary. Make them stop. Moses says, don't be jealous. What, that all the Lord's people were prophets? Would the God's spirit be on everyone? Jesus' earliest followers see someone else whose ministry is successful, someone else who's doing good work, doing it competently, but because he wasn't one of them, Because he doesn't follow our way of doing things, they judged and tried to stop him. What does Jesus do when he sees this dynamic playing itself out? He responds with an open and a generous spirit. Don't stop him. No one who does a deed of power in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Put no barriers in the way of those who seek to be close to me, Jesus says. And and then he uses some of the strongest hyperbolic language in the entire Bible. If you are putting a barrier in front of someone who is seeking to do good, cut it out. If they aren't against us, they're for us. You want an expansive view of religion? If they're not against us, they are for us. bringing it all home A spiritual lesson for all of us this morning. Pay attention to the direction you're moving. Is it toward a too small God? Pay attention to the energy you spend. Is it toward defining and protecting borders? Determining who's us and who's them? Or is it in shepherding direction? Mostly your own direction. Where is your time and energy spent? Is it shepherding your own direction toward a deeper love of God, love of neighbor, and love of self? That's the place to concentrate our time and energy. Because... Even the best of us need to watch our direction lest we be turning away from God and even the worst of us can be far, far away but heading with full speed toward God.